Broadcasting live from Blockbuster Video, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. I'm one of your other hosts, Seamus Connolly. It's it's me, Ricardo, CEO of Hollywood Video. Hello. <laughs> oh, oh, I miss Hollywood Video so much, truly. The one I used to go to is an auto zone now. <laughs> Did we used to go to the same Hollywood video or did <laughs> AutoZone just like buy out Hollywood video? It's interesting. You think about how like family videos and Hollywood videos and all those buildings are set up and they really do already look like garages. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that, that seems like a match made in heaven to me. Oh, RIP Hollywood video, but not RIP Blockbuster, which is kind of still going. Speaking of RIPs. Uh, a great loss yesterday, at, well, yesterday when we were recording, not yesterday when this is coming out. Uh, Jessica Walter, best known for her role as Lucille Bluth on Arrested Development and who on Archer? I can't remember her character's name on Archer. M- Mallory Archer. She was also in that 1970s Doctor Strange TV movie. Mm-hmm. Well, she passed her, she passed away in her sleep at age 80 leaving behind a legacy of gifts that will never die. Man, this one. I think like you were about to say, Shame, this one this one really hits. She's an icon, man. She's absolutely hilarious in the role she's been in, proven by like you said all the gifts of her that are out there. Yeah, she is like very easily like usually the best character in any show she's in and I mean, obviously the two that you mentioned Arrested Development and Archer, she uh, plays the same character of just, like, a very, like, emotionally abusive, alcoholic matriarch, and I don't know. It Yeah, you're right, Ricardo. It really does hit hard, because she was just always so funny for the, the cruelty in her roles that she's famous for. Do you guys have a favorite Lucille line? You can't beat, you know, the Jean Parmesan scream. <laughs> <laughs> Just the, the the screech of excitement that she she displays during those are so good. Yeah, I always love that bit because it's the one time she shows any bit of like humanity. <laughs> Just the pure joy on her face. Like, oh my god, it's Jean Parmesan. <laughs> or I mean, the the ever classic "Go see a Star War." I quote daily is great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I say it all the time, Shavis. I don't care for Job is one that sticks with me for some reason. I love all my children equally. Like an hour earlier. I don't care for Job. The cutaway, deadpan. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, she she was a... Icon is the right word. She's going to be remembered forever for her roles. And I mean, now there's kind of a weird place that... I mean, Archer is ongoing, and there's there's been talks about an Arrested Development movie for, like, a decade, mm, and mm-hmm. she's such an integral part of both of them. I don't, I'm not sure how they're going to move forward. Yeah. I've got the first three seasons on DVD. I'm good. Yeah, that's fair. I, I didn't even finish. I'm, I'm, you know, I might go watch the second part of the last Netflix season, because I never got around to it. Even though, you know, it was, it was pretty pretty decent compared to like the debacle that is the original season four but yeah, i don't know i think after the arrested development comeback was so 
poorly received already, and that combined with everything going on with Jeffrey Tambor, I think this is like the final nail in the coffin for us seeing any more Arrested Development, which is fine with me. In regards to, um, in regards to Archer, I think that's the only one I think could probably still continue on because I think, from a character point of view, uh, for anyone that doesn't watch, <coughs> sorry, for anyone that doesn't watch Archer, uh, the titular character Archer has this really weird relationship with his mother, and now that that's gone and they can't really do that anymore, I think that'd be I don't interesting at the very least to see where they go with that Archer having to come to terms with the death of his mother i don't know yeah that could be that could be interesting yeah I, I was thinking this i was thinking the same thing for sure it's uh going forward it's gonna be weird but i probably how like they did it when the voice actor for woodhouse passed uh in archer they kind of like dedicated like kind of a very heartfelt goodbye through their uh their first uh dream season and I don't know. They might they might try to pull something off like that for Jessica Walter as well. Really sad. R.I.P. Truly a legend. Absolutely. In other news, we've got something that we've seen come in long time on the horizon, which is Disney has completely reshuffled their release slate, which means that over the next couple weeks we're just going to see everybody scrambling to respond to that, including... Black Widow being pushed a full two months to July. And not only that, but they are abandoning their only in theaters promise where it's going to have now Disney Plus premiere access. Who are you fooling, Disney? This was always how it was going to go. <laughs> they were trying to fool themselves ultimately, I think. But, you know, they're trying their premiere access again. Is there any word? Is it going to be like... Same price point and details as it was with uh, Mulan? They haven't said yet. I cannot imagine that they're going to lower that price point for a Marvel movie. Yeah. yeah. They already did it again with Raya. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So it's consistent now. They've kind of set the trend. I don't see that lowering. But also, they're probably counting on the fact that by July, most people will be willing to go to movies, I think. Because... Vaccine rollout's really picking up steam now, but it's taking the place of Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, which does not have a new release date as of yet. They've also pushed, you know, uh, The King's Man and some of their other, like, Fox properties even further. So, I mean, you guys made a joke about how Black Widow was the new New Mutants, but The King's Man <laughs> was originally supposed to come out in, like, November 2019. God, yeah. And so... It just keeps getting pushed and pushed and pushed because it got delayed uh, for reshoots, then it got delayed for the Fox acquisition, then it got delayed because of COVID, then it got delayed because of COVID again. <laughs> and so now it's just like, that's the movie that I'm feeling like is really never going to come out. And then finally, Luca, Disney Pixar's Luca, is moving exclusively to Disney Plus in a very soul-esque move. I'm... I'm... I mean, I guess I'm just glad that it's not behind any kind of premiere access. I am looking forward to Luca. I mean, it looks like a very fun time. And yeah, I guess I am getting my vaccine soon, but I'm still kind of I'm still kind of chilling with the the straight to streaming for a little bit longer. So so this is nice. Me too. Yeah. And then two other release date uh, changes slash announcements. 
Spiral from the Book of Saw, a movie I'm sure we're all hyped out of <laughs> our minds about, um, is coming May 14th, and The Mitchells vs. The Machines, the animated film from Phil Lord and Chris Miller that we've talked about several times on the podca- podcast before, is getting its release April 30th, so I'm looking forward to seeing one of those two movies. <laughs> Yeah, so we're doing the full Saw rewatch, right? Yeah, baby. Ugh. Back to back to back. There's like seven or eight of them. Only the first two are good. The only noise complaint my room got uh, when I was a freshman in college the entire year was uh, a weekend I was away. My roommates all decided to watch the entirety of the Saw franchise straight through overnight, and they got they got written up at like 3 a.m. Yeah, like I make I make jokes. I could not sit through that much, just like buckets of blood and gore, just all gratuity. Spirals interesting in it that it's Chris Rock weirdly, and he's like, wait, what? Like behind the like the reason this movie's even coming out is because of Chris Rock. Mm-hmm. He he is the new like jigsaw guy. No, he's like a a cop in this one. Oh, I guess that makes sense. But yeah, apparently Chris Rock loves Saw. <laughs> that is very strange, but I kind of want to see it more now. This transition doesn't really make sense. But speaking of like weird horror movies and guns, Resident Evil, um, <laughs> the reboot of the film franchise is coming out and it finally has its release date of september 3rd 2021 it's called resident evil welcome to raccoon city and it's gonna adapt the first two resident evil games yeah i'm still skeptical about this one i think it's still like the same team behind the mila jovovich train wreck of a resident evil film franchise and oh it is (laughs) i think isn't that what i heard isn't it the same team? Or am I thinking of the other rumor about, like, a series? I am not an expert. I do not know. I, I'm i looking forward to playing the first two Resident Evil games at some point before September 3rd. But that's really what I got for you. That's, I don't know. That's soon. This is, like, the first I'm hearing of it. Yeah, because th- there, there were talks for a while, like, months ago, about, like, is it going to be a series? There was talks about, like, a Netflix series being developed. And I don't know if this is what came of that or if this is just a completely different project but the first two games if they're done in a faithful way could lead to some really cool stuff and uh the the first two games are actually like very uh separated by like a good amount of time and it's like in like a different place so it'll be interesting to see them kind of weave those two stories together a little more fluidly instead of like having more of a separate sequel coming down the pike i'll be interested to see how it plays out and compare it to the games i there's a remaster of resident evil 2 or like a remake right yes the resident evil 2 remake was fire and there's also a a gamecube remake of resident evil 1 that is is very good but very hard because it's like original tank controls and fixed camera angles but it's it's very worth it perfect i'll play it on my wii it'll be great yes yes uh, and then we've got just a slew of DC stuff to talk about. Um, some casting. Pierce Brosnan is going to be Dr. Fate in the Black Adam movie alongside The Rock. And Billy Crudup is getting replaced as Barry Allen's dad in the Flash movie by Ron Livingston. So if you could come in uh, on Saturday and be <laughs> the Flash's dad, that'd be, that'd be great. 
But like, why though? Why why are they switching out Flash is dead? Um, Billy Crudup has no interest in doing it. So you know what? Fair. All right, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> um, I wouldn't either if I were Billy Crudup, who I've really come around on lately. I used to really not like Billy Crudup, but after seeing him in the morning show and a recent rewatch of Mission Impossible Three, I'm I'm a, I'm a Crudup man now. <laughs> I'm I'm about it. No kidding. Alrighty. But then we've also got um. I I kind of wish we talked about this on the show a couple weeks ago, just so I could uh like Babe Ruth pointed to where I was going to hit the ball. Uh, but promising young woman director at, and I think Academy Award nominee now, Emerald Fennell is going to direct DC's Zatanna film, the magician superhero lady. So we haven't gotten any casting on her yet, but uh, this is very similar to a conversation that we had before the show a couple weeks ago about the kind of director they were probably going to try to get for this film. Yeah, man, you really did snipe that from, like, a mile away. I, I you know, I'm sure... I'm still interested in the Zatanna stuff since I know so little, and, you know, this little piece of information here makes me more excited. I mean, Promising Young Woman was, like, pretty well-received, was it not? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was a little divisive but yes i generally very well received and then we've got one last piece of dc news just this morning on the date of our recording uh the red band trailer for the suicide squad uh came out what did you guys think of that uh it looks pretty good to me i mean it's got that classic james gunn sleazy charm to it you know yeah, I, I feel that coming through. You get to see Shark Man really messing people up in the trailer. I like that. That is King Shark. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I was going to say, Seamus, what are you talking about? King Shark. Ex- excuse me. I was more of saying that. You're a fool, Seamus. It was a descriptor. I didn't think his name was Shark Man. He is a Shark Man. Ah, uh, okay, sure. Next thing you know, he's going to be talking about Victor Crumb from Harry <laughs> Potter and the Goblet of Fire. <laughs> Oh, wow. What a weird pull. Jesus. Uh, am I wrong, though? Does he not look like Victor Crumb from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire? No, you're really not. <laughs> King Shark? Yeah. Because, do you know, she, uh, Seamus and I are obviously aware of the fact that in the second task from the Triwizard Tournament, Ricardo, the way that Victor Crumb is able to navigate the lake and save Hermione, as he would call her, is because he is an animagus and can transform into a shark man. Yeah, he's a shark boy. When are we doing shark boy and lava girl? Didn't we kind of already? We kind of <laughs> already. Did. Okay, we're we're getting off topic. The Suicide Squad trailer, Ricardo. I want to know what you thought of King Shark absolutely tearing guys in half. Yes, yes. I was already excited for this movie. This just solidifies it because I get to see more of it. Hell yeah, man! A hundred percent on board. We got Starro in this mother. Yeah, and, like, John Cena's there, too, and I, like, want to see more of him, weirdly. Like, I, I never really put John Cena as, like, top of my acting list, but he looks like he's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, he looks really funny in this. Yeah, he really does. And uh, our boy Polka Dot Man, I forget his name, but he's amazing. The Baba Yaga guy. Yeah, he, he's he's the best. He he looks like he's going to be some creepy fun, too, because he kind of always is like a creepy fun character. And, I mean, 
we've got James Gunn pulling some music, of course, as he loves to do. We've got dirty work going in the background of this trailer, and I am just absolutely jamming to it. Hell yeah, it's, I'm, yeah, if I wasn't excited before, I really am now, and. We get more, yeah, we get more Margot Robbie, Harley Quinn. Yeah, I, I still like her Harley Quinn, I, I have no problem with it, besides that it's in. Well, I never said I had a problem. Well, no, but, like, that character is generally in bad movies, so it's hard to, like... Exclusively in bad movies, (laughs) I think is what you meant to say. I guess so. Birds of Prey was fine. I think it might have been less than fine. I think it it was a valiant attempt at something more than fine, but did not meet the bar it was setting for itself. Which is more than I can say for most DC movies, so... Yeah, that's fair. That's fair, but this I'm I'm excited to see her again, in the hands of a director who might know how to have some like actual chaotic fun. I mean, it, I, that's really what this trailer was: is chaotic fun. Yeah, it, it looks funny. I really liked her in this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for us to talk about that on the show. Uh, I mean, it's inevitably going to get pushed, but it's supposed to come out August sixth. Who knows if that's when it will actually come out? But I'm excited. Well, it's doing the whole HBO Max thing. Yes, but I mean. Still, I think the I think the wake of Disney's shuffling might not even the HBO Max stuff be safe from that. You know, mm. I'm just curious. I mean, like, I think it is more secure than most of the other things. But I mean, we I mean we should have talked about this at the top of the show. But like, we were supposed to do Godzilla vs Kong this week, and that got delayed like five days for some reason. Yeah, that was weird. That was very sudden. So, I mean, that's fine because we're going to talk about it next week, but. I'm just saying, there. I think there's definitely still room for stuff to get moved around, even though it's coming to HBO Max. But, uh, speaking of things coming to HBO Max, transitions, um, the New Zealand What We Do in the Shadows adjacent series, Wellington Paranormal, from, uh, the minds of Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi, is coming to the United States on the CW and is streaming on HBO Max. Hell yeah! I I love I love those shows. I loved the What We Do in the Shadows movie. Uh, Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi are just like comedy gods. Like they get me every single time. I'm gonna watch this. Like there's nothing stopping me. They're they're they always satisfy. Just like goofy and creepy and wonderful. I want more, more shows, more movies. Yeah, man, I love this franchise. The FX show. The FX show on right now, I think, is one of the funniest things on TV at the moment. I think this will be a this will be a good uh, pair up with that. Totally, I've only seen that first season of the show, but it just like put me on the floor every time. It's so good. I don't have a transition for this one. In other TV news, there is a National Treasure TV series coming to Disney Plus with a new diverse crew of treasure hunters in their twenties. With a Latina lead, the series has uh, gotten a 10-episode order at Disney+, and is going to be directed by Indian filmmaker Mira Nair. Oh, wait, they're all going to be 20-somethings? Well, that's what uh, the the press release from Disney said. I mean, I can imagine that, that it'll probably be, you know, a mix of, you know, older and younger folks. Oh, no. <laughs> they're going to be TikToking archaeology? <laughs> Are we in? Are we Instagramming the Declaration <laughs> of Independence? 
there's a QR code on the de- on the back of the Constitution. Um, b- but no, don't fret, guys, because this is not replacing the National Treasure Three rumors that we've already heard about. This is this is happening in addition to National Treasure Three. Oh, <laughs> it's the Marvel method. Movies and shows can coexist. <laughs> I like it. Well, it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder if we are gonna get some like crossover between the show and the movie. I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah, Nicolas Cage would do it. I mean, if Nick Cage doesn't make any appearances, like that would be totally whack. I'm sure they're gonna be like, it's gonna be like the Avengers. It really is gonna be like Marvel. The series finale is gonna be like Nick Cage slow clapping after they find the treasure, and it's like. I'm putting together a team. I need you. <laughs> it's gonna be. It's gonna be great. And then him, a frozen uh, Indiana Jones, <laughs> Laura Croft, and Nathan Drake team oh, up. The best movie of all time. <laughs> four characters doing the exact same thing four times in a row. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Here's the thing, though. They're all different levels of sleazy because. Uh, Ben Gates has like a gen- genuine reverence for history and and culture, and he want and he wants to share it with the world. And Indiana Jones like thinks he's that, but he definitely is not. Like he thinks he's an archaeologist when he's really just a grave robber who also dates like thirteen year olds. Hmm. Yeah, we'll not talk about that. We'll we'll save that for when we do our Raiders episode. <laughs> okay, good. And then we've got Laura Croft, who is kind of in the same boat as Indiana Jones, but she doesn't really pretend to be an archaeologist, but she does pretend to, like, study things. And then we've got Nathan Drake, no holds barred. He's just like, yeah, I'm here to steal the treasure and leave. (laughs) (laughs) All the games are called, like, A Thief's End, Honor Among Thieves, Drake's Deception. Like, it was never... Yeah. A question. It was always on Front Street. <laughs> yeah, he's always he's always a jerk, but he's always so likable you don't care. It's perfect. It's the it's the Mal Reynolds method, to be honest. But you know, we're gonna get to that in a few weeks with our with our Firefly episode. Oh yes. And speaking of Uncharted on the PS3, hey, I'm really rolling with them today, boys. <laughs> um, <laughs> the PlayStation stores on the PlayStation Three. PlayStation Portable, and PlayStation Vita are going to be permanently deleted. Let me double-check a date on that, because I don't want... Yeah, I don't know the exact date, but I do know it's going to be sometime over the summer. We want to make sure we're going to grab those digital-only games that are on there. Yeah, man, I need a bigger card for my Vita so I can keep my Persona 4 going. I'll be very sad if I lose that. I can't tell if we're joking or not, because I actually do have two games that I want to get before this whole thing shuts down. Oh, I am not kidding at all. I really can't find a date. It's, yeah, it's just saying this summer. So what what games are you, are you going to cop, Ricardo? Well, since most PS3 games that have been really popular and really good, I think, have been all ported over to the PS4, the ones I'm after are, way back in the day, they came out with a... Sly Cooper Collection Remaster that I do not own because I had the PS2 games. But now I want that and the fourth one together. So that's what I'm after. So are th- those are digital only? They weren't, but I think finding a physical copy of 
the the Slack Collection remaster, I think, is really hard. And it's way cheaper to just get it digitally. So that's probably what I'm going to do uh, before the summer hits. Oh, okay. Well, make sure you get those get those Uncharted 3 dynamic themes up on all your <laughs> systems. Get those... Uh... I don't know. I if you get the Metal Gear Solid PS3 collection, which I did at Seamus's behest over the winter, um, make sure that you redeem your digital code for the original Metal Gear Solid and VR missions. You know, please do that. Very very important. Uh, I can't think of anything else. Call of Duty Zombies DLC. If anybody's not just playing the remasters on Black <laughs> Ops Three, I guess. Yeah, that's if you're keeping it old school. Uh, uh, all those expensive ass <laughs> uh, PlayStation Vita games. Like, I guess they're they're only expensive if they're physical copies, which they're only gonna be now. So get all that stuff downloaded too. Seamus, I want you to tell the world why you own a Vita. Well, I sold my 3DS <laughs> to buy one, which was maybe a mistake. Definitely a mistake. But also, does Nintendo DS have uncharted on it i don't think so and it only has one metal gear solid so i was like what am i doing here i need my playstation rep little did i know sony never gave a damn about the ps vita and abandoned it almost immediately so yeah which honestly i'm really surprised that they've not just ported golden abyss to be like ten dollars on the playstation store for like ps4 and ps5 i assume that probably has something to do with their other failed experiment the playstation tv micro console that plays vita games on Uh, a tv but it doesn't play golden abyss golden abyss is one of the non-compatible playstation tv vita games yeah that is absolutely garbage what the hell because i was looking into getting a playstation tv (laughs) and i was like well it doesn't play golden abyss which is one of the two games i would probably play on my playstation tv so wow that sucks if sony if they if they ever do decide to do another portable console i really hope they put more effort into it truly all right well we'll keep you guys updated on that when we get an official date and probably uh psn it's not looking good for the free PSN online on PS3. Mm, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, so fingers crossed, boys. I know you guys all want to play uh, Battlefield 2. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Uh, okay, but uh, let, I think that's it for news. So should we move on to our main segment, The Last Blockbuster? I'm so ready. Let's do it. This episode should be put on a VHS. <laughs> Makes no sense, but I'd love it. Well, uh, we actually talked about the trailer for this one a, a few months ago, and we were all pretty excited to see it. And when Kong, uh, well, Godzilla versus Kong, I keep calling it Kong and Godzilla because I, it's clear where my priorities are, obviously. So. <laughs> Uh, when that got pushed, we decided to fill that gap with The Last Blockbuster, a movie where you're already hyped to see and you can stream on Netflix. Now, isn't that ironic? <laughs> Truly. Is it? I'm asking. Oh, it most certainly is, considering how much they really talk about Netflix in this documentary. I guess you can't do a blockbuster documentary without talking about Netflix. But I also really appreciated how much and how adamant they were about, like, Netflix is not the sole reason that Blockbuster went under. It was a combination of a lot of things. It's a big one, but it's not, like, the only one. Exactly. 
Man, I mean, do we... Like, are there spoilers for a documentary? This is just real life. Do we just, like, dive into whatever? <laughs> you can't spoil a documentary. Yeah, I think we just talk about whatever. <laughs> Alright, that's, what that's what I'm thinking. Uh, I mean, but, like, general thoughts. Hit, hit us with general thoughts about the style of the documentary, what you learned, you know. Oh, big right up top. Maybe we'll get into this too. I really like this documentary and I really love Lauren Lapkus except for when she's doing this voiceover for this documentary. <laughs> right? Oh, uh, you weren't a fan of the super bubbly oh dude i was like i was straight up like going between like getting like teary-eyed thinking about my childhood blockbuster to be like cringing at, at lauren lapkus's <laughs> voiceover it was really getting me i felt like i was watching a vox video especially because they needed it so infrequently that it was like why didn't we just cut this all together guys <laughs> <laughs> Just make it text on the screen at that point, man. It'll I'll Just make it blue and yellow font and it'll be perfect. Because Lauren Lapkus is charming, Seamus. I, I would have rather seen her interviewed, you know? <laughs> like, they didn't interview her once. Get her thoughts on Blockbuster. She just got, like, hired to do this documentary. I will say this. Um, I was... Usually in an... In a documentary like this, I'm really taken out by celebrity interviews. Like, that doesn't usually interest me. But I think that the variety of celebrities that they got and their varying relevances to Blockbuster as a brand actually really helped strengthen this documentary and kind of give some credence to how much it touched not just the film industry, but like just people in general. They got Obi-Wan. <laughs> they really did. Yeah, James Arnold Taylor. Oh, he really likes his Obi-Wan stuff. Do you think he has that around usually, or is that to be like, people need to remember who I am real quick? Uh, maybe both. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, like, I'm a hardcore dork, and I, you know, instantly <laughs> knew what was up, but... Oh, of course, yeah, of course. You know, also a lot of other fun faces. Ron Funches, who always makes me giggle. He's great. He's kind of uh, like the lower level of involvement, where he's, like, just a guy who loved Blockbuster. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jamie Kennedy, like schlubby looking Jamie Kennedy, reminiscing about the golden days. Yeah, I, I couldn't even tell it was Jamie Kennedy at first. It, I thought it was Christian Slater from Mr. Robot. <laughs> <laughs> Were you guys also blown away by the revelation that Jamie Kennedy was like a blockbuster spokesperson or this weird... With, with Jim Gaffigan too, somehow? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this weird Power Rangers or Burger King Kids Club <laughs> of Blockbuster where they would go to openings. I would have totally been into that. That's awesome to me. Yeah, I think that's incredible. That revelation, I was like, why is it Jim Gaffigan in this <laughs> documentary? <laughs> that's a different documentary. Get that crew back together. Doug Benson, who I normally cannot stand, I actually thought was kind of funny in this in this documentary. Yeah, he can, you know, he can get a little much after a while, but he he was he was a cute cute little funny boy, just giggling at his own movies at Blockbuster, tricking Kumail Nanjiani into texting him for the movie. You get Kevin Smith because of course Kevin Smith would be here. Yeah. I mean, he loves movies. He is a cinephile and I mean, his most famous movie is half about a video store. So how could he not be in this Doc and I mean, Kevin Smith. It, it, I think is a very interesting pop cultural figure, but I do really have an affinity for him 
Because I think he is a person that has retained self-awareness and is just very content to be him. And he doesn't he's not trying to be like some major Hollywood director and he's well aware of the fact that he peaked in relevancy 20 years ago. And so now he's just like, I'm just going to be here, I'm going to be famous, I'm going to do stuff for IMDb at (laughs) Comic-Con. Yeah, man, it's whatever, he's just like a dude, say what you want about the quality of his movies. I do just like hearing him talk, which is why I think podcasting has taken off for him so much, just because I used to watch the old, like, An Evening with Kevin Smith specials, like, when they were on Netflix. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, and hearing him wax specifically about Blockbuster and, like, just, like, there was that bit where they're all opening up, like, the big plasticky clamshell VHS case. And just, like, he, he seems like somebody who could appreciate that more than most, I guess. And, I don't know, I, I've always liked Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith's a good guy. I, I There's only a couple, maybe one or two of his movies that I, I don't really care for. But, you know, I want to see that Walrus movie. I haven't seen that yet. Sure. <laughs> Tusk. Go to Blockbuster and rent that one. They're still getting new movies. That was a weird part to, like, the process of them going to, like, Target to buy new releases. That's wild. It it was so weird to see, like, Endgame and Ready or Not on the store shelves at Blockbuster. I was like, this isn't right. Yeah. Captain Marvel, don't forget about Captain Marvel. Oh, they had a a ball with Captain Marvel. They really did. I'm sure that the doc makers, when they saw that trailer, were like, yo, (laughs) it's going to help our movie. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. I think Dark Horse, the best interview in this, was maybe Sam Levine, who had so much passion and, like, really insightful thoughts about the nature of blockbuster as a cultural institution yeah he had, it was great to see him for sure he 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 knew what he was talking about you could tell that that passion was from a place of like intimate personal knowledge and i appreciated that a lot what was the name of the the trauma guy the insane old man oh wait hold on yeah the, the toxic avenger guy yeah that's psychopath <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> that guy was hilarious. One of my favorite parts. He's he's so good. He's so funny. Oh man. That guy seems like he'd be insufferable to talk to. Uh let me pull let me pull up his his name real quick because I want to make sure we're getting it right. Oh, yeah, Lloyd Kaufman. Lloyd Kaufman is his name. Lloyd Kaufman. Yeah, just like arguing with introducing himself like why do you want to know who's asking it's insane you didn't do your research did you uh because it's a movie man (laughs) it's a documentary (laughs) nobody knows who that guy is by sight i guess he's wearing only toxic avenger merch and like his whole place is decked out but i don't know i've never seen the toxic avenger I, i i'd like to but it's like he's a Johnny Carson character just come to life like really strange I mean they only have him in the documentary like twice because his interview is basically unusable <laughs> but yeah yeah he's just like swearing about the the corporate heads of Blockbuster but I mean when you get down to it the story that is being told about Blockbuster and the corporate failings and like the rise and fall of a huge industry is really well told in this doc and 
bolstered really well by all the interviews that we just mentioned. Yeah, I was really fascinated by uh, the revelation, at least to me, that Blockbuster was actually doing it pretty good, like on the same level as Netflix for the time. And then, you know, 2008 happened, and that's when, you know, the timeline split off. <laughs> so there's a, there's a different timeline where we are watching everything on Blockbuster Plus. And you know what? I think I'd like to live in that one. I was going to say, I would be all about, like, whatever they would call it, Blockbuster Instant. I'd love it. It's Blockbuster Now, isn't it? I think was it's branding back then. Yeah, I, I know sometimes people still find, like, old smart TV remotes with a Blockbuster Now button on it. It's like, oh my god, right next to the Netflix button. It's insane. And, I mean, the, the documentary is very clear about the fact that they were actually doing better than Netflix. They were ahead of the game on Netflix's streaming video. That Netflix was mostly a threat to them as a mailing disc company you know and so i think that's really really interesting the idea that they were ahead on the streaming game like not only was blockbuster holding its own against netflix as as a disc company but that it was ahead of them on the thing that netflix became the first to do essentially truly what could have been there's there's that uh interesting like muppet <laughs> sequence when they explain what happened in like the the boardroom between netflix and blockbuster and how they kind of like laughed netflix out of the room the famous blockbuster had a, a shot at buying netflix story mm-hmm. yeah god told in puppetry but i mean i guess i didn't mind with doug benson doing all the characters <laughs> yeah but yeah uh god such a different world that could have been because they they really thought they were just gonna like kind of squash him right like that was their whole point of like we don't need to like humor netflix as if they're gonna like really put us out and oh now now we're all just like planning our own trips to bend oregon to, to like do a pilgrimage well here's the thing that i kind of took away from this documentary is that like sure that is a fascinating story about blockbuster could have bought netflix but the way that the documentary frames it is there were so many outside factors that impacted the the fall of blockbuster that if netflix hadn't been around if netflix had been acquired by blockbuster that somebody else probably would have stepped up and filled that void crackle (laughs) this is the crackle timeline I mean, I'm thinking more along the lines of it would be a Hulu or an Amazon Instant Video being the dominant streaming platform. No, I want to live in the Crackle timeline. The one where Crackle Originals are up for Emmys. Into the Crackleverse? Terrible. So yeah, um, I, I really think this is a strong, entertaining documentary. Uh, it does really make me want to go to bend and check out last blockbuster i i really grew an affinity for the folks that are there running it and just like running a business just like anybody else wouldn't the dream be to actually be able to say the words broadcasting live from the last blockbuster oh man honestly that could that could be a pretty good pod god if uh 
if you guys over at the last blockbuster want to give us some some free nights at your airbnb we would gladly come up there (laughs) (laughs) yeah for anyone that doesn't know the last blockbuster is an airbnb now which talk about the best Airbnb option of all time? I I mean I don't know what you're really doing in Bend, Oregon, besides going to that blockbuster. But now you don't have to leave. I mean, it looked like a really nice place to me. Like it looked gorgeous. Oh yeah, they're Sammy and the gang. They're like keeping that place pristine. It's it's wonderful. Sandy, Sandy. Oh, it's Sandy. I thought it was Sammy. Let me double check because I don't want to be the the jerk that corrected you it's sandy is it oh well now i'm the jerk who said her name wrong because she is so damn nice so real quick we're all in like early 20s right yeah i think we might be like the last the cutoff like the last generation that even kind of remembers what a video store was like was actually (laughs) physically in one yeah I, I still, to this day, whenever I'm back in Chicago and I'll pass my old Blockbuster that's been a hot yoga studio for like 10 years now, <laughs> and I'll just like shed a single tear as I walk by. So many, so many good times there. Ugh. Shout out to Mega Media in Milwaukee for keeping the spirit alive. That's exactly what I was going to say, Ricardo, that there is a nice... There are still some, like, independently owned used media stores hanging on that can give you that same kind of fix if you don't, you know, want to make the pilgrimage all the way to Bend, Oregon. And for those of you in the Milwaukee area, big shout out to Mega Media Exchange. It's got, what, three locations around the city? I think so, yeah. Yeah, something like that. And, I mean, like, there are similar places all over the country i mean half price books even kind of gives you that little bit of that feeling not exactly the same yeah sure i i think they even touched on it in the documentary i it might have been kevin smith who said it but he was like there's like a almost like a resurgence as uh like the vinyl collecting community kind of like kept independent record stores going and that there could be that like draw for those uh, independent movie stores, just like there would be to like actually go to a blockbuster, and you know it really does it really does give you a little bit of that like satisfaction of just like walking the aisles and looking at covers. That's what I really loved about going to Mega Media. It became just like a thing to do, just going through the different aisles because there was always something different because things would come in and things would leave. So yeah, it was a communal space even in other like video stores. Yeah, I've definitely been there with both of you oh yeah it's a great time weirdly enough uh it's also a smoke shop now for some reason but uh wait what oh mega medias yeah this they just sell like bongs and cbd and like it's just like up at the front counter next to the next to the movies well they gotta keep afloat i guess yeah it's like like there's like a case of like game boy games and ds styluses and then right next to it is a case of like glass bongs and like lighters and stuff it's it was weird i mean it's a very recent update but uh... what the huh so ron funches bought mega media exchange is what i'm hearing yeah oh that, that was a good bit yeah <laughs> is mega media my favorite store now like my favorite company <laughs> you big cbd man well give it a couple years <laughs> Oh, Mega Media, big shout out. So yeah, uh, support your local video store and be kind, rewind. Did you guys catch that at the, that's, 
the the very last part of the credits is just be kind rewind. It's just a little tip at the end. Yep. I liked that a lot. Mm-hmm. I caught that too. Really sweet. Go watch that movie. Yes. Big shout out. Big recommend. Be kind rewind. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean the Jack Black one? Sure. <laughs> I was about to say, damn, Garrett, okay, I guess you like Be Kind Rewind. Yeah, big turnaround on Be Kind Rewind. Never seen it. <laughs> so yeah, uh, let's move into our pop culture reference of the episode. Wait, hold, real quick, just for, I guess for kind of a wrap up. What are your guys' feeling towards like physical media? I think we're all kind of on the same page where we, we really like it. Because uh, I only bring this up because my room currently, I have a bunch of DVDs that I've collected over the years. And I've been slowly moving a lot of them into my room, out of the basement. So when you walk into my room, it's like 2013 again because it's all DVDs. <laughs> I ha- I play them on on an old PS3 because the PS4 is being used in the living room. So the one I have personally for my room is the PS3. So my room's become like a little time capsule. The nostalgia setup, man. I love that. But yeah, physical physical media. I it's great. They they kind of even touched on it in the movie of just like holding it in your hands the weight of it like physically like turning it and like reading the details on the back it's it feels good there's something about it and uh i i know ricardo you have a couple of like uh stranger things box sets that are like modeled after old vhs tapes i don't know if that's one or both of them but there's there's something to that like modeling new stuff after really solid physical things like a vhs tape i'm i'm all about now on the same on the same wavelength as that, I cannot stand the Walmart five dollar Blu-rays that look like videotapes, but like don't commit to actually making it the size and shape of uh, a video cassette, and so it's just like a Blu-ray case with the image of the Blu-ray or of the VHS cover with the videotape like sliding half out to make it the right dimension to be a Blu-ray case. Ah, that's, that's kind of whack. I don't like that. I think, I mean, I think there is definitely a charm, especially to the Stranger Things ones, because that is in line with, you know, the vibe of Stranger Things. But for me, I mean, physical media is all about the joy of feeling an ownership over a piece of art that you care for. And that you're like, I can watch this anytime. It's like, it's almost like marking up a book. It's like, this is my copy of whatever you know oh totally and just the threat of streaming to like shuffle around your favorite stuff Uh oh you suddenly don't have access to or like have half access to something you love you it's always good to just have that on in your back pocket i need to buy a fraser box set for sure <laughs> especially because uh Amazon is trying to argue now, we've talked about this on the show before, that even if you buy a movie through Amazon, you're not technically an owner, you're just licensing the right to watch it whenever you want through Amazon instant streaming, and that they could technically take it away from you at any time. Yeah, I don't like that, that kind of threat behind it. It's better to have it in your hands, physical piece of media. Yeah, that's exactly what I think. So I I obviously am a big proponent so that means it's time to start doomsday prepping when the internet bubble pops i'm still gonna be able to watch shrek 2 are you (laughs) 
Oh hell yeah, that's a, that's a good that's a good piece of advice. That's like a whole angle in Ten Cloverfield Lane. He's got a bunch of like John Hughes VHS tapes. It's it's perfect. I do I I really since the pandemic started, I have literally bought a copy of Shrek Two on Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good Blu-ray to have though. That movie's dope. All right, let's let's move on to our pop culture reference, which is kind of more of the same as the conversation we've already been having. For today's pop culture reference, we're going to be just talking about the history of Blockbuster Video. Now, obviously, this is a very brief overview, and we highly encourage that if you're interested in learning more about Blockbuster Video and its remnants, to go check out our main segment of the day, The Last Blockbuster, which is now streaming on Netflix. So, basically, Blockbuster was the biggest video store chain in the world, uh peaking at around 9,000 stores. It was estimated that a new Blockbuster was opened at one point every 17 hours. And so it's pretty amazing to see that through a combination of bad decisions from the top down from business and underestimation of their competitors... And the 2008 stock market crash leading to all of their debts essentially being called in led to this titan, the head of this industry, falling in under a decade. Yeah, I, I have pretty clear memories still of like the great collapse of Blockbuster, like the big fire sales of like everything must go everything is a dollar or whatever still saddens me a little bit considering how much time I spent there and how much I'm sure you both spent there but hey but I got the first three seasons of Monk on DVD for like five bucks so hell hell yeah oh god I I got the first Cloverfield on DVD there that that sparked my obsession it's great oh so this is an origin story for you Seamus oh 100% yes and uh yeah you know like Basically, the crux of what I'm saying is, it's like, it really did almost happen overnight. Just, like, big shutdowns, mass closings. See, I, I, I think this is one of our shallower pop culture references, partially because Blockbuster was such a titan that I think even people that are younger than us and don't really remember it being open have an awareness of what it is. And also because I really do want to encourage people to go dive deep and watch this doc on Netflix, because I think... It's a really interesting story and one that will help keep afloat the last blockbuster up in Bend as this huge tourist attraction. Yeah, that's weird in and of itself because there is this this odd mystique about it just being the last blockbuster in existence. Just something about that sentence just draws you to it. Yeah, very true. It, they're 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 like selling back nostalgia in such like a concentrated way at that blockbuster i think that you know with with this documentary and the popularity that it hopefully gets that blockbuster will be in existence long after we are dead hopefully pop 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 quiz pop them quizzes all you girls pop your quizzes like this <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so 
here's a shock, guys. Last week, Ricardo beat Sheamus. Yeah. And then I won the game, too. Then I will... I I have a feeling about this week, and I know I say that often, but you just... You give me a chance, coach. I'll, I'll prove them all wrong. Ricardo is ahead... Nine to six. I know. I know, Seamus. You're itching for that comeback streak. Is it going to be your time to shine? It's your, it's your time. It's your turn to pick the category. So, here are your options: The Suicide Squad or Resident Evil. Oh, I'm picking Resident Evil on this one. And if God help me if I get it wrong, I've just not too long ago played every single game. So I I really hope I don't screw this one up. You guys know how this game works, but for those of you playing along at home, the first one of you to give me the correct answer gets the point. If you say it at the exact same time, or neither of you are able to get it, we move on to our other category as a tiebreaker. But here we go with Resident Evil. Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City is set to reboot the Resident Evil film series and put focus on the narrative of the games. How many theatrically released Resident Evil films were released as part of the original franchise? Six. Seven. Seamus got it. Ooh, it no. was six. Seamus, for extra credit, can you name them? All right, we got Resident Evil. We got Resident Evil Apocalypse. We got Resident Evil Extinction. There's Resident Evil The Final Chapter. I That's somewhere down the line. I don't even know if that was the last one. There's, like, Resident Evil 3D. There's Resident Evil Abomination. Oh, I'm, I'm losing it. I'm, I'm losing it. I, I only know a handful. Okay, here here are the six in order. You, you got four of them, so I'm honestly pretty impressed. Um, the original Resident Evil, Resident Evil Apocalypse, Resident Evil Extinction, Resident Evil Afterlife, Resident Evil Retribution, and then Resident Evil The Final Chapter. And then there's three actually pretty decent animated feature movies uh, that aren't canon in that universe, but I think are canon in the game universe that don't get enough love. Well, that's why um, I made sure made, I was very careful to say theatrically released. Yeah, here we go. This is this is the start of the comeback streak, boys. I will I will finally overtake Ricardo, and I will win Garrett's hand in marriage. I will do that <laughs> for you. The, the the stakes have been risen. Is that meaning that the PS5 and the house are part of the dowry? Is that what's going on here? These are all included. Yeah, it's like kind of a, yeah, it's an, <laughs> everything together. It's part of the assets of the Strother family estate. <laughs> Okay, let's move on. Now it's time for Howling Commandos, where we break down the latest episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier exclusively on Disney+. As always with our Marvel shows, we're just marking spoilers right off the bat, so if you haven't seen this episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, go check that out, then come back here. We're talking episode two. Who's strong and brave here to save <laughs> the American way? I knew you were going to sing that. I'm so glad. I'm so glad it's, it's got the comeback on that song. And the marching band cover. Oh, so good. I hope they put that on Spotify like Agatha. Hell yeah. Oh, man. I There's so many things about this episode. Like, this was packed with stuff for me that I, that, like, honestly surprised me in a lot of ways. Starting off with I don't particularly despise Wyatt Russell, which is a surprise to me. He's like kind of an endearing guy. They're, they're, 
I they're they're gonna pull the rug out from under us soon. I know that much. But right now, he seems like he's like kind of okay for the job almost. I know. I'm shocked. If Marvel Television has taught me anything, it's trust no one. Especially the person who you have the most uh, affinity for going in. The character actor who you the most attached to. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. He's, uh, something's going to happen with him. It's going to be like, uh, you know, I, I always mixed up the new Captain America with, uh, who's the guy with the flag tattoo on his face from, like, Daredevil? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Nuke, I think his name was. Nuke. Yeah, yeah. Where he takes the red, white, and blue pills and, like, tweaks out. I always, I always assumed it was going to be more something like that, but. Wyatt Russell's like a, you know, he's just an all-American chap. He's just doing good stuff for everybody. He's got a black Bucky. Battlestar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Battlestar. <laughs> Why did that piss off uh, Bucky so much when he said Battlestar? I think it's partially the fact that it's... A, like, that's the silly thing about the MCU is that everybody's like, nah, but you gotta tell me your superhero name. But they just sound ridiculous. And so I think it's partially that, and I think it's partially the idea that it's definitely invoking, you know, like, the Captain America brand of, like, Battlestar, like, you know. And, I mean, I think it was really smart to, right off the bat, start us off with learning more about John Walker and his whole backstory and making us realize that he is just a guy trying to fill these shoes and not some kind of brainwashed you know hypernational i mean like to an extent i guess but well now he is but yeah i think uh this definitely could have been part of the pilot i feel like i feel like this in the first episode kind of like wandavision could have been a little bit condensed down but i do appreciate that we are giving a lot of these characters room to breathe that we might not have gotten in most other shows yeah, Sam and Bucky actually talk to each other in this one. They're in the same room now. Isn't that weird? Yeah, they've got their classic, like, kind of tense banter going back and forth. The return of super unhealthy and uh, poorly portrayed therapy. that That's back in this episode. <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah, I thought we were maybe going to get somewhere a little bit with that, but I'm sure the last... You know, the last episode of the series is just going to be, like, back in the therapy room again. And it's going to be all okay. Well, I, I did kind of wonder if... I don't know. I think that there is definitely something to the fact that he's seeing a military therapist, which, like, not... And it doesn't even sound like a therapist who specializes in PTSD or anything like that, but, like, literally a therapist who is in the military. And so I feel like maybe it's intentional that this isn't exactly the best help that Bucky needs, especially because they uh, they call out specifically that she and Wyatt Russell have done ops together in the past. That's very true. They kind of they keep touching on the importance of his time in... Wakanda they even they bring up the white wolf title also in this episode again and just kind of referencing how the the time apart to like heal his own mind a little bit was what he needed and now he's back to being like hammered in the head by this military therapist and he just wants to cool out you know I guess he I guess he really quickly volunteers to go to Germany with Sam but in general he's still like trying to make amends this episode and like 
I don't know, try to stay out of some pretty bad stuff, even though I guess he's inevitably sucked in because of the super soldier angle. And he goes very willingly when he gets arrested, and especially, it's really cute when they put those handcuffs on him, like, that's gonna do anything at all. (laughs) Yeah. Man jumped from an airplane, and was fine. Uh, but let's talk, I want to talk about that sequence specifically, which was definitely my favorite part of this episode, the whole going to visit Isaiah, Mm, who is a super soldier who was from the Korean War, so really, like, less than a decade after Captain America, and the obviously the u.s government even back in the 50s was able to replicate some kind of super soldier serum um and then sent him to prison it seems so like to maybe to be experimented on i'm very curious to get to find out about his his backstory was he like experimented on during world war ii in a hydro facility somewhere to bucky did something else happen with him like why is he a super soldier and why weren't there super soldiers after the Korean War? You know, or were there and we didn't know. Uh, but I really I really liked that. I don't know a whole lot about his backstory, but um, I'm sure they'll change parts of it. But from what I recall from the comics, he was... Uh, it, well, it's based on real life history where the United States government would experiment on black people because, you know, they could. And, like, having like Isaiah was supposed to be their attempt to try to recreate the super soldier serum. Cause again, uh, Stanley Tucci got shot and he was the only one that knew how to do it <laughs> from what it looks like in here. It looks like they took like a soldier who they thought they could do that with. And again, racism. So they thought they could do whatever they wanted and no one would really care. So they just kind of experimented on him until they got the results they wanted sort of a replicating or, a Reverse engineering, trying to reverse engineer the super soldier serum. Yeah, but that's what I'm curious about. If they if they were able to successfully do it with Isaiah, like, why... What, like, I want to know the backstory there about why they haven't been able to replicate it. And then, of course, after we leave Isaiah's place, learning very... Oh, wait, uh, that reminds me of something. Civil War, they did, didn't they? Because there was a bunch of them in the Frozen... Yeah, but those were all, like, specifically Winter Soldiers. Like, it, like the Hydra Boys... Oh, those those were all Hydra. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, like fa- failed attempts when they went like crazy. It was the uh, it was the it was the Winter Soldier boy band. <laughs> yeah. And then we get Sam getting racially profiled right outside Isaiah's house. God, that just like even like you can see the cop car roll up out of focus in the background before the the lights come on, and that just made my stomach sink, man, because I knew it was coming. And they like tease it out a little bit at the bank in the first episode and you were kind of saying before that this is this show is definitely going to explore like the specifically being a black avenger and how they treat him like this is the second time where we've seen somebody like treat him like crap and then find out he's an avenger and be like oh what's up sam wilson like you're the best and oh it just sucks so bad yeah yeah it's very clearly uh not only like a, a racial thing but also of being an Avenger clearly is a metaphor for coming home from the military. 100% yes. Yeah, oh, for sure. Oh. 100%. And I'm also, I, I mean, but also on the reverse side of that, you have, when they first get to that neighborhood, you have some kids who are like, hey, you're the Black Falcon. And he's like, no, I'm just Falcon. But it's like, I mean, I mean, and the joke is like, it's like Black Panther. But 
the the way that as a Black Avenger, like there is this double standard that he comes across in public all the time, and they've shown us multiple times. But also the representation that that garners. Like, I mean, and he's not Black Panther from. Wakanda, he is Sam Wilson, all-American boy serving in the military, a black Avenger, you know? That's an issue with just comic books in general. There's Black Lightning, uh, uh, the Lawrence Fishburne character that I don't remember from Ant-Man. Yeah, that's a, a recurring thing with comics, where they just throw black in front of their name. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's the thing about Black Panther is at least it's, like, named after something, and, and <laughs> like... Yeah, uh, makes some kind of in-universe sense. That that whole interaction with the kid reminded me of that old uh, Key and Peele sketch with the Power Rangers. Uh, I was gonna say, yeah, the Power Falcons or whatever. I I almost thought that was just like a straight up reference at, at first, but then he like kind of like weakly schools this kid and with a joke that's not that good. I got him. He like fist bumps the friend. It's <laughs> like, no, you didn't, Sam Wilson. Whatever. He did though. <laughs> no, he didn't. He did not. He got him, mate. Ugh. He bloody got him. <laughs> he did not. Yeah, Sam Wilson is a character that is... Like, he is emblematic in a lot of ways of a lot of the problems I have with Marvel writing, where he is so much less funny than he thinks he is. A wizard is just a sorcerer without a hat or whatever. It's like, yeah, alright, sure. Is he wrong, though? Is he? I don't know. I, I kind of I lightly chuckled, but, you know... Well, I actually really, really like Bucky being like, yeah, I read The Hobbit when it came out in 1937. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was really good. Or the, the big three, androids, aliens, or uh, what was the third one? Sorcerers. Wizards. Or wizards, whatever, you know. Sorcerers, of course, yeah. Which Doctor Strange is a wizard. There's no way around that. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing is uh, they're kind of acknowledge. They're like half acknowledging how silly... All of it is, but, like, not... Just like everything else in Marvel, they're, like, half acknowledging that there's something there, but then not fully committing either way. Because, I mean, they're bringing up the concept of the big three, but then this entire show is literally about, like, rogue super soldier terrorist organization, like, that does not fit into any of the three categories at all, much like most... Like Captain America movies. Yeah, let's talk about the the super soldiers though, the the flag smashers, because we've got we've got the girl from Solo playing the same role she played in Solo. Oh, that's where I know her from. I was like, who is this woman? I know her from something, but we we've got a we've got a band of young people who are, who are the villains. But you know, guess what? They're not really the villains. They're they're just they're young people trying to do the right thing, and the and the the heroes are going to learn a valuable lesson about you know. I mean, they're still terrorists. Well, yeah. Is this a bit? They're straight up not good. They're they're like pre. Aren't they like we want things to be like they were when half the world was dead? Yes, but what the? But it just. Just like in Solo, boys, it's the fact, I mean, they have an oversimplified goal, but when you actually hear them talk about it, they're talking about the fact that corrupt officials were just put back into power when they unblipped, and that a lot of the people that were, that's lives were changed during the snap were just cast aside to make sure that they could accommodate those coming back into the world and uh, you have all of these because they talk about all these displaced refugee camps that sounds like it's going to be like a theme going forward because isn't that the same issue hayward had and wandavision because there's tension between post blip and pre-blip people exactly so 
Exactly. That's what I'm talking about is that there is this like like who are in these displaced camps? Is it exclusively people that like came back and didn't have homes or is it people that were like kicked out of where they were living so that the people who came back could be there? And also, where are these super soldiers from? Were they weapons of a like I mean, if they're anti-nationalist, then were they captains america of other countries were they super soldiers meant for hypernational causes that are now breaking free and only try like they were trying to i mean they were stealing vaccines yes but they were also trying to distribute them to people in refugee camps i really like that idea just the idea it's a group of other national super soldiers we could get some captain britain in there but i but that's the thing i think the idea is but that if they've shirked those identities, I'm not saying they're literally Captain Britain or whatever, but, like, if they are super soldiers who were, like, nationalistic military groups that then shirked those identities for, like, the common good, that's a big, really big gray area. And I know we obviously are bringing in, you know, Baron Zemo and Hydra, which could be a much uh, more black-and-white villain that may be our boys can team up with the Flag Smashers against at the end of the series. Yeah, they're going to do... They tease it at the end of this episode. We're going to get uh, Hannibal Lecter Zemo. Yeah, that's that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, th- there's also one thing with the Flag Smashers that they, they tease out is that somebody is specifically after... That's right, yeah. The yeah. Solo lady, like, texting her threats, like, I'm going to, like, I'm going to kill you is what it says, so... Not only is there, like, some political opposition to these, like, activists, terrorists, whatever, but, like, there is some personal stuff in the the higher the hierarchy, and I guess I just assumed that was gonna be connected to Zemo, but I guess he's still snug in his weird cube cell, so we'll see how that plays out. I'm still thinking about Zemo, because I think they really did a good job of building that up with uh, the camera angles and the dramatic music and <laughs> knowing he's going to finally wear the purple outfit. I don't know. It's exciting to me. Just, have we talked about how Zemo might be one of the pettiest villains in comics? I, yeah. Yeah. I think we talked about that a little bit last week and how, and how it, it'll be interesting to see because the Zemo in civil war bears such little resemblance to what Zemo Baron Zemo is in the comics that, I'm really hoping that they actually just kind of like just kind of like the themes I was talking about do justice to what that character's kind of deal is like from the source material. Yeah, they made his weird uh his king fur thing. They made that work. They put it on his coat. Yeah, I, I'm loving the costume design. I I I'm very much looking forward to in a couple episodes from now when we get like a suit up sequence with him, like an evil suit up sequence. Oh, also, real quick before we wrap up, I want to talk about how uh, the entire truck chase with the vaccine was like, hey, you guys know about Indiana Jones, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I was channeling every single action movie that does, like, on top of the train, on top of a truck, on top of a boat or whatever, you know, just, like, vehicle top fist fight. Yeah. I mean, I was not impressed with that action sequence in general, but... Because it's it's got that Marvel problem of it's just like a lot of it's got a lot of shaky cam and fast cutting and it's just like yep this is technically action. Though I will say in that action sequence it gave me even you know a stronger 
feeling of like, yeah, maybe Wyatt Russell isn't so bad. He like actually did help out in like a in in a way that wasn't like as arrogant as I was expecting. Oh yeah, he's very like interested in actually having their help at least it seems. This man is a time bomb, man. Oh, true. I'm going to be sad when it, the big reveal happens. Don't forget how we left him. Stay out of my way. But yeah, but, like, they're being jerks to him, you know? They're like, you suck. And not that it's unfounded, but I also think, like, he is a pawn in a larger political maneuver that he is not in control of. And they're taking all of that aggression out specifically on him instead of, like, the organization that actually decided... You know what? We don't need a black Captain America. We need Wyatt Russell. And he they need to fix his helmet. I mean, I know that's part of the point is that it's ill-fitting. But like Wyatt Russell is a handsome guy. He's an odd-looking guy, but he's a handsome guy. But in that helmet, he does just look like a dope. Yeah, truly. No, man. I want Goober, whatever, <laughs> CS agent, a US uh. agent. <laughs> just make him look sillier. CS agent is funnier. <laughs> That's that's when they bring in the Jordan Peele movies, is we get T.S. Agent. There it is. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. And that's where Black Falcon comes in. Perfect. That better be where he gets demoted to at the end of this. He becomes T.S. Agent. <laughs> oh, you think he's surviving this? I don't know, man. Oh, yeah, he's, he's go. Okay, you ever fell on a grenade? Guys, come on. Literally, they're setting this character up for a I die for the cause at the end of the series to help out my boys. There's a Dark Avengers theory that's been rolling around out there that I think would be kind of cool. That would be cool, yeah. White Vision meets Wyatt Russell confirmed. The weirdest conversation between an android and a and a, a helmet full of ears. <laughs> that's mean. I, Wyatt Russell does not deserve that. I think before we get off onto any more speculation tangents, I think we, I think we, I think we've run the course for actual content of this episode. All right, let's uh, let's save the rec center. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we give you our weekly recommendations. And boys, I'm sorry if I'm going to completely derail what you already have thought out for your rec center but i wanted to, i want to try something a little different if you're if you're game oh lay it on us okay this is pcr staff picks you get you get two videotapes to put on your blockbuster staff picks shelf oh just any any two that we can think of that would be on vhs i think so i think that's what we do I'll, I'll give you guys a, a we can we can just take a second to think okay so they gotta be vhs tapes got it got it got it oh i've got a stupid one in my head that i don't <laughs> want to be <laughs> representative of me why not shame <laughs> <laughs> i mean you know maybe maybe i'll throw it up there i gotta see if i can come up with anything better all right do you, are you guys can you guys think while i do mine i wanted to give you a minute to process but you know let me let me jump in here for my staff picks on my blockbuster shelf these are coming from vhs tapes that i watched a lot as a kid and i'm not going maybe with my most watched ones but i'm going with ones that i think would be fun to have on my staff pick shelf because i like literally wore out my star wars videotape you know but uh i had a i had a tv with a vcr built in in my room when i was you know a a, a young a young boy and i had a shoe cubby holder like 
cabinet thing where they were the perfect size to slide in videotapes. So I could fit like the cardboard sleeve videotapes into those holes. I could fit four of them in each slot. So you would have like the Indiana Joneses um, plus like the Indiana Jones bonus material or whatever. So two of my most watched videotapes from that era of my life were Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Wow. Those are those are great choices. Oh my god. And I literally do not think I have seen Pee-wee's Big Adventure since I watched it on videotape like a million times. I definitely have seen it like not too long ago. It holds up. It is hilarious. It is so funny. Oh, I could recite it for you for sure, but you know. Large Marge just like plaguing your nightmares. <laughs> oh, truly the most horrific moment of a movie I was not expecting. Both those movies, I didn't even think about that, have, have you know, seemingly kid-friendly tones or uh, with really dark undercurrents. Yeah, they really do. Jeez. All right. Well, I've got my staff picks. Um, this is also kind of the exact same uh, reasoning behind your first one, Garrett, of like, I had that little TV with the built-in VHS player, and I had like a little stack of tapes that I would play over and over. And for some reason, I watched Austin Powers 3 <laughs> a thousand times on VHS. Uh, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding, Seamus. That was almost my pick. I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes! We lived the same life, Garrett, I swear to God. Why do we all have the same memories attached to Austin Powers 3? Because for the longest time, I would watch that one a lot, but I had never seen the other two. <laughs> That's so good, though. That's so funny. Oh, man. That's, that movie was, like, not even that old. I feel like DVDs were a thing when Austin Powers 3 came out, but I watched, a I watched it so much, and it will make me laugh out loud to this day. Like, I'm even just, like, thinking of, like, that movie's so stupid, but that intro with Tom Cruise and Danny DeVito, it's so funny. Oh, 100%, yeah. And, I mean, the Kevin Spacey one works even better now, if you really... Oh, Jesus Christ, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Spielberg is there, oh, God, classic. And then my, my second one is actually that stupid one I was talking about. I think it was the last VHS tape I ever got from Blockbuster. Brand new, shrink-wrapped in the clamshell. It was Inspector Gadget 2. <gasps> yes, <laughs> Yes! And... <laughs> Where, oh my god, like, no Matthew Broderick to be seen, it's all, uh, French, right? French Stewart, baby. French Stewart? Oh, it's all the best. They're trying to rob Fort Knox. There's, like, the time-stopping button deal with, like, the McDonald's product placement. It's classic. Oh, it is classic. It's so bad. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's horror. It's the worst, but, like, yeah, my two staff picks are two different sequels of absolute insanity but they're classic specifically on vhs <laughs> the, the worst in their franchises respectively <laughs> yeah exactly oh ricardo what about you what do you got for staff pick uh you know i'm gonna go with batman 89 just because oh, that spe yeah. that specific vhs tape has a special place in my heart because i would just check that bad boy out from the library all the time like every time i went there i would pick that one up and i think i want to say that's probably where i experienced batman for the first time it's a good place to start is an obsession was born <laughs> was that the vhs that was literally all black and just the yellow yeah 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 oh so good the hell yeah dude i had that one too 
So yeah, that's always going to have a special place in my heart. Uh, my other pick is going to be uh, my VHS copy of The Mask. Yeah! Oh no! <laughs> How did I forget about the VHS copies of The Mask? That's insane! <laughs> <laughs> oh god, I picked Inspector Gadget 2? Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> Anyone that doesn't know us personally doesn't know that uh, me and Seamus have had a, a long recurring gag where we both own VHS copies of The Mask. And, I mean, I don't own a VHS player at the moment. I just have it as a relic. It's just like a, a piece I want on the shelf. It's a weird art project dream of mine that I want to get a bunch of VHS copies of The Mask together and make, like, a wall out of them. <laughs> like a mosaic of <laughs> giant white teeth. I could do it, too, because I go to a lot of garage sales, and guaranteed there's always going to be a copy of The Mask there. Just like a, a Andy Warhol-esque comment on how worthless videotapes are now. Oh, the irony of having the best movie of all time <laughs> on such an outdated <laughs> medium. Uh, it, right next to that two-tape Titanic set. Oh, yes. I, you know I own that for sure. Oh, man. Well, I, Garrett, good good new little segment for our Blockbuster episode. I really liked the staff pick. This was a good VHS memory lane here. Maybe, we'll, maybe we can come up with some kind of excuse to do it again sometime. Because I think it's I, it's got a different charm, a different feel to it. I, I was really excited because I could hear the passion at both of your both of your picks. Oh, there's something about it that's scrambly VHS tape, man. Okay, I think that uh, I think that wraps us up for this week's episode of uh, Pop Culture Reference. Next week we're f- actually going to be talking about Godzilla vs. Kong, fingers crossed, unless they delay it another 5 days for some weird reason. But I mean, I'm really glad we got to cover this one. So, I mean, no harm, no foul, you know. Hope I get refunded for that pay-per-view. <laughs> prices i paid for this Kong fight <laughs> oh god if you want to reach the show you can tweet us at pcr underscore podcast find us on instagram at that same handle you can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com and like us on our facebook page thank you guys so much for tuning in i i really enjoyed doing this episode you know i think it's the first doc we've done am i right about that yeah yeah it is so i mean that was that was a thrill so be kind Rewind. Starring Jack Black. Adios, amigos. We'll see you next week.